Welcome to Money for Average Joes, a 12-part series on personal finance. I'm your host, Jason Weaver, and Average Joe. Episode 11 is all about investing and is part two of two. And I'm getting a little sad because we're almost to the end of our 12-part series. Now, I always pull from the best podcasts and online resources, and today I'm going to cover some really great stuff. Uh, One of the the tools that I'm going to show you is how you can really get into the nitty-gritty of your allocation of your passive investments and it is spectacular i'm also going to cover you know how to shelter your your money and your investments from taxes Um, we're going to compare different methodologies for investing and how the rich really invest versus the poor and we're going to talk about having a financial plan and that's one of those resources that i've built out a little bit more because it's that important is to be able to just see on one page what's your money goal right and as a quick refresher episode 10 was part one of this series on investing and we covered stuff like what's an active investment what's a passive investment how do you set a goal for retirement and so much more you haven't listened to it already go ahead and go listen to it and of course all these episodes are so you can live better and have more money when it matters most so just to make it clear there is risk in investing there's risk in owning your own business there's risk in doing nothing and in last episode we covered that at the very end essentially 80 percent of people have regrets when it comes to retirement And if you want to be in the 20% that have no regrets, then you're either going to need to set your expectations really low, or you're going to have to work towards achieving, um, you know, a healthy retirement. Also, if you want to invest for your kids, go into college or something else, you can use the same principles, right? Now, I lean way far on the active investment side. You know, that's why I said in the last episode, potentially 50% of my effort, money, time, whatever you want to consider is going towards my business. Now, I love owning a business. I don't have employees. One day, I'm sure I will, and I may not love it as much anymore, but I have risk. There's a lot more risk in an active investment than a passive investment as far as uh, yourself, right? If I became sick and unable to earn money in my business, then I can't provide for my family, right? With a passive investment, you're going to invest and potentially get return from other people's work or from the stock market, you know, because the company is making more money and or the perception of the company is higher. And so now we've looked at basically historical numbers and seen for years and years and years, riding the stock market makes you money, but there is no guarantee that tomorrow is going to be better. And I mentioned before in the last episode that you know, it took 10 years for the Great Depression to recover. And I'm sure there was tons of stocks that went completely out of business. But if you were able to, which I don't think you could back then, invest in the overall stock market, you would have been ahead by having investments there, right? And always, always, always invest only what you can afford to lose. Yes, that could mean that you'd have a horrible retirement. And don't bank on the government giving you money or that business being around to pay out that pension any of that is a perk, right? Everything else you're doing should have the goal of being, you know, financially free and, and uh, you know, having that as some peace of mind. Now, with that said, let's dive right into saving slash investing rate. Now, people like Dave Ramsey are going to say if you're not saving at least 15% of your income, 
for sure when it comes to retirement, you're going to be really hurting. Now, I look at it more like on a basis of, you know, weekly, what do you need to be saving slash what is your retirement goal? And for me and my family, we want to, you know, hit 150 to 250 a weekly investment. And I hope that to be far uh, less than 15% of my income. And if I make more money, I can choose to invest more if I want to. But we've set our goals for retirement kind of low. A million, million and a half, two million um, is what we'd want. And, you know, of course, 30, 40 years from now with inflation, that's not going to be near as much as it sounds right now. But for you, you just need to understand that currently the United States savings rate is somewhere around 4%. And so if you can get over 4% of your income going into savings slash investing, then you should pat yourself on the back. But at some point, you're going to need to run the numbers like we did in the last episode and say, how much do I really need to invest? And that could be way more than 15% of your income if you're not very, making very much. And then you might need to go back to school, change your career, marry somebody wealthy, you know, find a creative solution, uh, live with somebody else, pay rent, uh, you know, try to live rent free, whatever you want to do. You can work the numbers in your favor as long as you understand what your goals are. Hopefully by now, you know some of the places you can put your money and get a good return on average that is higher than inflation. And that is an asset class like stock or bond, right? But you also need to decide what vehicle you want to place those within so it can drive you either into a huge tax uh, payout in the future where you have to pay a boatload of taxes or completely shelter you from taxes. So tax sheltered would be something like a Roth IRA. There's a lot of restrictions, so go look at them. I've put a couple up. I'm sure a few years from now, there'll be even more. And and uh, basically, when, when you can finally retire, according to the government, that's when you can pull your money out, right? But you don't have to pay. You pay taxes now. You don't pay taxes later, right? Um, and then there's tax deferred, and that's going to be, you know, where basically you don't pay taxes on it now. You pay taxes on whatever tax bracket you are when you start pulling this money out, right? So you're banking on not being, you know, super wealthy then or not having a job or, you know, whatever with your accountant. You can talk over those different things, but some most common examples are 401k, government pensions. SEP IRA. Okay. And there's so many details between all these, but like for your 401k, I'll give you one thing or one example of something you can do is look for, you know, your mutual fund that you're investing in through this or whatever options they give you and look for somebody that has a good track record over time. And then David Stein would give you the tip if you can find out if their active management, you know, the people running it are the same people that have been running it for its success. So those are the two tips that he gives there. I'm not super impressed with the returns that those 401ks seem to get. Um, and then in general, people take the approach that as you get older, often, you know, you're going to want more safe or secure um, investments so that you get paid out a lot less, like you're, you're maybe bra barely breaking even with inflation or something like that because you want it to be safe. But uh, usually 
that is still not the best if you're going for a higher return, right? And so I'm gonna show you a tool called Portfolio Visualizer here in a second, and hopefully it will blow your mind and you can see, okay, this is how I mitigate risk. This is how I understand what can happen in one year or 10 years if the Great Depression happens again, but how I should still come out on top versus just putting everything in a secure place. That being said, I have 30 or more years before I retire, so I am way more likely to take on risk than others. Just know the portfolio theory people are going to put way too much in bonds or other places they say are safe, but they may not even keep up with inflation if you're not smart about it. And that's not great. And I'm not going to say much about the SEP IRA, uh, something I'm looking into, but there's some major restrictions and I own my own business. Now, before I dive deeper, I just want to mention once again, I have some bonuses. So moneyforaveragejoe.com slash bonus or moneyforaveragejoe.com slash money dash resources. If you just get to moneyforaveragejoe.com, look up at the top right in the menu, you'll see those. They're really great. I can't say enough about it. I wish I had these resources. That's why I created them, put them up there completely free. Go check them out. They're amazing. And then I just want you to know that you should definitely attend with your spouse, uh, either the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Dave Ramsey's, you know, money piece thing that he does. So that way you can get on the same page. It's a big deal if you're not on the same page. And I also want to mention I am not authorized or affiliated with the Church of Jesus Christ or of Latter-day Saints or Dave Ramsey in order to, you know, do this personal finance thing. Um, so I just want you to know that. And of course, this is general education purposes, not specific investment advice for you. Now, I forgot to mention one thing, and that is if your employer matches money for your investment, you should always meet that match. Even if you have to pay off debt or anything else, always meet the match. And then for me and my family, we're putting as much in the Roth IRA as we possibly can and then going on from there. Now, having a financial plan is pretty dang important. And that's why in those resources I just mentioned, I have a way for you to get on with me or download or watch a video so that you can make your own one-page financial plan or you know money plan is what I'm calling it. And I really got inspired when I sat down and met with David Stein, but also when I listened to How to Become Wealthy, episode 252 of David Stein's Money for the Rest of Us. And if, if you haven't noticed already, when I listen to him, sometimes I feel like he talks way above me. And that's kind of part of the inspiration of why I just call it Money for Average Joes is I just want people to understand how can you get the 90% accuracy you need to be successful so that you're not part of that uh, 80% of people that retire and say that they really, they fumbled that. They really bonked retirement, right? And so when I met with him, and when I listened to that episode, I really got inspired to put that into our, the money goal. So have a goal for retirement, get to a comfortable standard of living, always have rich experiences, not always costly, have a plan for increasing your income, have a plan for increasing your savings, in, increase investment returns, right? Reduce taxes. That's one that I added to the list that he hadn't mentioned because he's going for a more international audience than I am right? But I created that one page money plan slash goal. You can get it at the resources I mentioned before, check it out. But in the episode, something I haven't brought up and, and I didn't bring up in the last episode is that he found some studies 
that compared the allocation of investing, investment asset classes of the super wealthy versus the poor. Okay, sorry, I stumbled over that. But the breakdown is this. Rich people only have 10% in cash. Poor people have 30% of their you know, money sitting around doing nothing. R you know, Rich people obviously have more money in that 10%, right? So that they can take an opportunity and take care of it when it comes. Uh, but poor people are just letting their money sit there and not doing anything, right? Bonds, rich people, 15%. Poor people, similar, 13%. Now, this is where it starts diverging very, very significantly, in my opinion. Rich people, 29% in stocks. Poor people, 55% in stocks, right? And, you know, based on past returns and what's going on in the economy and everything, I'd be surprised if stocks return more than 6% after you factor in, you know, inflation over the next few years. But nobody really knows, right? So, this is the thing that rich people are doing versus poor people. They're putting rich people are putting 46% of their money that they have in alternatives. And last episode I mentioned all those alternatives, but they're they're doing venture capital, they're doing buyouts, they're doing uh, you know, owning businesses, buying businesses, investing uh, in equipment with businesses so that they can repossess that equipment if people don't pay. They're doing crazy complicated stuff that you have to have a certain amount of money or you have to be you know, government approved or you have to have certain training, um, certain regulations. They're doing all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff. Any way you can basically make money, they're doing those things and they're putting almost 50% of their money into those things. Uh, look at President Trump and others. He owns hotels, he owns big centers, and, you know, depending on the economy and the situation, you know, that can be good or bad. Uh, and political situation, if people all start to hate you, and now they have a place where they can go and, and ruin your business so that you make less money, it may not always be the best, right? But they're doing different things, okay? And I just want people to understand, if you can find creative ways to make some money, you might get either better returns than what the passive stocks can give you and or, um, you know, you might just find ways that are less susceptible to economic downturns, right? So and then once again, in that episode, he mentions the super wealthy are increasing their net worth by 5% annually, right? And so they're not doing something amazing. They're not going after things that are going to give a 30 or 40% return per se all the time, right? Maybe they have one or two things like that, but they're not putting all their eggs in one basket because 5% annually doesn't sound like a lot. Obviously, if you're super wealthy, millions of dollars, that actually comes out to a lot of money, but they're putting it in places that are giving them some good returns. Now, I did just hear from my dad's best friend who owns a business, like, if you just nail it with your business, your returns can be insane. It really is true. And he 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 runs a automotive shop. He just rebuilt his shop, and uh, you know he's doing tires. He's he's doing car maintenance and repairs. He's not necessarily specialized, but you know over a few years he's built up his business, done honest work, and people trust him. And he doesn't even have to do much marketing anymore where he lives, right? And so that 
was a huge investment and huge return. Now it's very susceptible if he gets sick, but he does have a lot of trained employees. So he might be able to hire a manager at some point and that business could keep running and he could just check in on the key indicators of how it's doing, right? Now I promised you an amazing tool and that tool that David Stein put me onto is called Portfolio Visualizer, okay? I'll have a link in the episode. Now with that tool, not only can you put in your best stock or bond picks and say over this period of time with this amount of money, how did it do? It's going to show you some really cool stuff. You know, a CAGR, I hardly understand, is an adjusted return based on inflation, okay? And so that's going to try to tell you that based on these picks or these asset classes, or these specific stocks. And that's what I love because I like to understand in general, how does an asset class do versus how does a specific stock in that asset class do or that specific bond, right? So you can throw in all these different scenarios, look at this stuff and it's gonna say, okay, for this example that I put on here, it's gonna say, you know, you got a little less than a 6% annualized return after you factor in inflation. And remember that's better than most super wealthy people. Um, and this is all, we're just talking passive investments right now, right? There's, it's really hard to measure your active investments. There's no simple way to see like, how are, how are other people's active investments doing, right? There's no simple way for that, right? But you can go ahead and put these specifically in, and I have several scenarios there, and it's gonna tell you some super important stuff, like what is the most money you've lost in one year? It's called the maximum drawdown. When I saw that, that really helped me understand, like, look, investments have risk over a large period of time. That risk is very mitigated if you're going for, for uh, index funds, for instance, right? Because you're writing the market, but you can have a bad year. And if you have a really bad economy for a period of time, it can be really bad, but it can really help you to see that in the past it recovered and how fast was the recovery. Now, there are some limitations to this. I think you can put in as many years as you want and whatnot, but it may not analyze everything like the maximum drawdown for all those years. It might only look five years. You know, these tools are designed to get you to invest. So you might have to run the numbers yourself in Excel sheet to to really be like, okay, yeah, if I had invested for the last 20 years and I'd rode these index funds, I'd be up like a ton of money and my average would be, you know, 6% every year, right? And you'd have to do it. But in general, this helped me feel confident to know that I'm going to lose money some years. I'm going to gain money some years. My, my stuff's going to be up and down, but I'm in it for the long run. And that is, in my opinion, the safest investing. Okay. Yes look and see how things are changing. But if you try to time the market and put in money at the right time, uh, it's never going to work. Okay. In my opinion, or if it does work, it's dumb luck and you can't pat yourself on the back. You can go spend the money that you got. Just like if you picked an individual stock and it did insanely well, or you picked an index fund that's overweighted in technology and technology has done amazing the last, you know, uh, couple of years and and uh, even more but when technology doesn't do amazing now you're hit even more right and so you just have to understand what are you actually investing in who who's on the other side of the trade all sorts of stuff david stein wrote a book i'm starting to quote him a bit you can read his book it's it's really amazing 
if you want to understand more there. But for me, this helps me feel comfortable investing. It helped me understand uh, in general what does an asset class return, right? And whether I was getting more or less. It helped me also understand that most people that are going to actively manage your portfolios are just going to take part of your return and they're not going to do any better than riding the market. And so that's why I don't recommend giving people money in most scenarios. Now, if you're investing in a weird asset class, you know, even David Stein might tell you that an active manager might prove to be better, but you can go read studies and, and studies will show most active managers or um, these financial advisors that are taking a percentage, you, you know, what they're really doing is they're doing psychological work for you and helping hold your hand when the market goes down so that you don't pull out all your money and they deserve to get paid, but do they deserve 1% of your portfolio so that you don't hit your million dollar or $2 million mark when you need to retire? In my opinion, no. I included a link to David Stein explaining modern portfolio theory and what's wrong with it. I don't know if he goes deep enough into what's wrong with it because a lot of you know financial advisors like David Stein and he doesn't want to tick them off, I feel like. Just like I don't want to tick them off. They're very passionate. Uh, they'll tell you things like annuities are great and people like Dave Ramsey are wrong for talking about annuities like that. The only annuity I've heard, which is life insurance, uh, that I think is good is a long, uh, what's it called? Oh, you know, I, I have it quoted here. If you want to cover the risk of living a long life, then an income annuity based on an index might be a good option. So there's insurance. Like, you know, we saw with the maximum, you know, uh, amount of years that you can actually sustain taking out 4% of your nest egg that you could live, you know, to be 130 and you'd have no money, right? So some people worry about that and, and that income annuity might help take away that. But that's insurance. It's not investment. People have to understand you're giving up a huge chunk of your nest egg to have that insurance. And uh, yes, most annuities haven't failed and other people are going to show you the stats and numbers. But doesn't mean they couldn't fail at some point and then all your money's there instead of food storage and having your house paid off and, and having other diversified ways of making money so that you can be more sure that you're going to, you know, not run out of money before you die and you can leave a legacy for your family. Okay. There are a lot, and I mean a lot of methodologies to portfolio theory, to portfolio allocation. There's a ton. And one of the studies that I thought was amazing that David Stein pulled up for me was PortfolioCharts.com. And I don't think it's maintained. So it's best to go on to my website and just click on the link for David's uh, Excel spreadsheet. But there's, there's uh, you know, methodologies called the All Seasons, uh, Desert, Ivy, Merriman. I, I mean, tons of names. So somebody smarter than me went and pulled basically using like a portfolio visualizer or some other tool. They said, okay, if I had invested as these experts or this methodology proclaims, what would my return have been up until 2015? And then I don't know how far back they went, you know, 1972 or something, who knows? Right. 
is there a silver bullet is what this person was looking for? Or is, are there some strengths and some weaknesses in these methodologies? Okay. And it helps you see that. And you'd have to literally have this in front of you. I can't break it all down for you. You need to check it out yourself. But for me, once again, it just solidified. There's no perfect method. Writing the market's a better approach long-term. And how silly is it that people are so invested in these ideas and the returns are not that different, okay? I've mentioned before, you can magically pick or randomly pick or somehow have insider trading information. Hopefully nobody knows about it because then you go to jail like Martha Stewart did uh, to pick a winner and you could have way better returns than this five or six or whatever percent these methodologies are getting on average over time, right? But in the end, just invest now. Uh, even if you get a lump sum, you can invest over six months or a year, whatever you want. Not, you know, not just hoard that money forever and just invest now, keep investing and go for the long term and you're going to win for your passive investments. Okay. Now active investments might be different, but passives are like that. Now I could have split this into two sections, but I wanted to just mention for me, it was free to have a Roth IRA and they had no additional fees on top of my specific ETFs. So I went with M1 Finance. There's some limitations, like I have to basically split up my pie and then put my money in and it will invest in that pie that way. Uh, I'm not sure, I haven't changed my allocation uh, since I've done that, but I'm not sure how it does the sellouts and all that. I know recently there's some companies that are allowing you to buy like percentages of stocks you know, like get just $5 in a certain stock or things like that. There's some cool stuff that's developing, but it doesn't really matter where you go. Just watch the fees. And of course, there's always a buyout or a way to transfer from one tool to another because they want you to do that. And once again, I don't rely on social security or pensions to pay my living, but you could. And then just so you know, if you go online and you go to this episode, I'm going to have like a question and answer where you can, you know, ask like a question. And, and if I get asked this a lot, I'll put it in there as like a Q&A. Can you time the market as a question, right? Nope. Invest now and forever. Can you optimize your portfolio? No. Watch the signs and shift some allocation. You know, David Stein has a great episode about the garden. Can you can you perfectly optimize your garden? And no, you can just change the way it it looks the beauty of it. You can have different plants and it looks prettier or different, but who's to say one allocation of, of your garden is, is so much better than another when it's for beauty, maybe for maximizing growth of your carrots. There's somebody that's going to have opinion or can prove one's better or not, but just know, you know, I'm going to try to keep to those Q and A's. Also, I've included a ton of videos from common sense. Um, PBS has put on amazing, amazing, in my opinion, you know, group of people that believe in the fire movement, retire early, be more financially stable, understand, you know, how to have an emergency fund, understand the different types of investments. I've only disagreed with one or two of their videos and it's usually slight. And like I said, with Money for Average shows it's about getting the 90% there of what you need so that you can feel confident that you can retire or you can invest for the future. You can That you have a plan, you have that one page plan that I mentioned before and that you're working on it. 
It can really hold you down when you're working on it for years to get out of debt like it did for my wife and I. But it's so much more freeing to know we kind of have a plan and some goals there. And we're working towards some of them. We might not achieve all of them, but we have them written down. And I know some studies in the past have said if you write them down and you look at them often, you're way more likely to achieve some of those goals, right? And we have retirement goals, for instance. Like I said before, I'm a little sad that we're getting towards the end of this series, but I appreciate you and I would love to hear from you. Go on the website, chat me up, get those resources, and let's share this with other people. Well, that's it. That's the episode. Go to moneyforaveragejoes.com for show notes and the nine principles course resources covered today. Subscribe for free access because I'm that generous. And by educating yourself and applying what you learned today, you'll gain new skills, have fun, and have more money when it matters most. Please take the time to subscribe and share what you've learned with others. This show is for general education purposes because I don't want the lawyers being sicked on me. And I am merely a financial coach. That means I am not certified as a personal financial advisor or planner. I've not reviewed your situation. So this episode is not considered personal financial advice. I'm Jason Weaver with MoneyForAverageShows.com. Have a great day and I will see you in our last episode, which has some great ideas on marketing.